Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Amen. Super cool. I love that there are new groups starting. It's super, super, super exciting. If I haven't met you already, my name is Tyler, and I am one of the pastors here. And Mandy, thanks for that time of prayer. New house group leaders, uh, thank you for stepping up and creating spaces of hospitality where we do hope that more folks will feel welcomed and safe and supported in our community. Existing house group leaders, thank you for the work that you've done to create those kinds of spaces and everyone else. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us either in person uh, or online, those folks that are streaming in with us. And I am so glad that you all are here on this special Sunday, right? Special Sunday because we're getting new house groups launched, but also a special Sunday because of a holiday that's being celebrated more broadly, uh, Valentine's Day. Now, it might be clear from my fingers, right? Not married here, uh, single this Valentine's Day, but it doesn't mean that I don't need a little sugar, Uh, pun intended. And so I know I have some helpers somewhere. Uh, We have cards for everyone. Uh, There is a Valentine card and some candy for everybody because you all matter dearly for us and so those are to us. And so those are going to be coming out around here now. Some are chocolate, some are fruit. If you don't get the kind of candy you like, feel free to trade uh, with someone around you. I was telling someone earlier, I have, uh, you guys remember Fun Dip? Do you know what Fun Dip is? Oh, y'all, I am like flying. I mean, just ready on the fun dip this morning. So I'm feeling great. Uh, While this candy is coming out and these cards are coming out, I have one announcement, one story to share. Uh, The announcement is this. We are getting ready to celebrate our first baptism celebration as a community. Uh, And just, I know, it's very exciting. In probably like five, six weeks' time. And so there's already some people that have come to us and said, hey, we're excited about baptism. And we wanted to extend the invitation to everyone, if that's something that interests you at all or that you're curious about at all, uh, you could talk to myself or Chris here in this black waffle neck, Henley. Uh, We would love to tell you more about baptism. Essentially, we believe as a church that Jesus was baptized uh, and invites his present-day disciples to follow that example and be baptized as a way of showing, hey, I want to live my life differently. I desire to follow Jesus uh, for a lifetime. And so we'd love to talk to you more about baptism if you're interested in that. That'll be something we celebrate all together very soon. Uh, So that's the announcement. The story is this. uh, In November of 2019, I flew to Kansas City. So I had moved uh, to Cincinnati. By then, I'm flying, flying back to Kansas city where I used to live. And I was there for a wedding. I was there. We were doing some fundraising for this little church plant that at the time was just an idea and a dream and a prayer. Uh, So I'm there. And while I was back in Kansas City, a dear friend opened her home to me. And she said I could stay in her guest room. And while I was there, we had made all these plans together. There were people we were going to have dinner with and breakfast with and see late at night, right? This is a pre-COVID world, so sky's the limit. There were so many things we could do um, and places we could go. But the thing is, while I was there, I became terribly ill. I mean, just like really, really, really sick. Uh, There was a big fever, stomach issues, the works. And so it quickly became apparent that we weren't going to be having the time together that we had planned to have together. 
And I felt so awful because you hate to show up as a house guest in someone else's house and then just be like the sickest that you've ever been, you know? And so I feel like I'm just a wet blanket on this whole time together. And yet she was so sweet. She got Gatorade and soup and all these different things. Other friends came and dropped stuff off at the door. Uh, they extended care to me when I couldn't really care well for myself. And the one thing I vaguely remember from, I mean, honestly, what was it? Like a week-long sickness, right? I mean, we were texting, just absolutely awful. The one thing I remember is I did watch an entire season of Survivor uh, beginning to end while laying in bed, and I think that slowly brought me back to health and life. And, um, and all that to say, I was so grateful at a time when I was very vulnerable, right, in a city where I don't live, um, in a place where I don't usually stay, I was so grateful for hospitality, uh, for hospitality, for someone caring for me. And this morning, as we continue our series, it's been called Asking for a Friend, as we investigate all the different kinds of human relationships that are out there and how we can live into them differently and better as Jesus followers, how Jesus might change the way we think about relating to others, uh, we're going to discover this morning that hospitality uh, is really a key part of the Christian life. You could say it's fundamental to becoming more like Jesus. So this morning, as we look at the biblical text, as we look at church history, we're going to see that God has welcomed us as a good host and that God, while he was on earth as Jesus, risked being a vulnerable guest. So two sides to hospitality, caring for someone, right? Being a host, being a guest, being vulnerable, needing help. Uh, Jesus was both. And so we're going to see that we can follow Jesus' example when we welcome others, and when we vulnerably accept care from others ourselves. Uh, so it is an exciting Sunday, and as we get started, I'd love uh, to just give some definitions of hospitality to begin with, a definition of hospitality. What is hospitality? Well, hospitality isn't hosting, and it's not the same as entertaining. It's not putting on a show. Uh, it's not impressing a guest with a delicious menu or with an immaculately clean space. It's not showing off or showing up as a guest with an expectation to be pampered and spoiled. That's not what hospitality is, at least as we're talking about it this morning, and how we're thinking about it through a biblical lens. It's a little better than that, I'd say. It's a bit deeper and richer than that. In a biblical sense, oh, did we lose power just to the lights, though? <laughs> you guys, wow, you can still hear. I'm just not going to move too far. I'm going to stay on, oh, did a kid grab the light switch in the thing? Okay. Well, in a biblical sense, I'm going to keep going, y'all. I don't need these notes. In a biblical sense, in a spiritual sense, hospitality is creating spaces where strangers become friends. Kate, where strangers become friends. Where people that once didn't have any connection. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm Sean Mendez. Uh, someone with a phone light, this is a dream come true. Uh, but at least we're, we're strangers, people that didn't know each other before, people that prior had no connection become intimately connected as friends. It's just totally off, Josh? Okay. Yeah, let's check in the sound booth. And then as much as I don't need these notes, Kendall, is my phone up there? We'll just do something. We'll get a little light. Are we feeling safe? Does anyone need help? I was a children's librarian as well, as you know. And uh, when we were there, we actually always had on our belt glow sticks 
we could pop open a glow stick, uh, just in case the lights ever went out at the library, and we were trained to say, your grown-up knows right where you are, and you are so safe with us. Um, so the same is true here. Whatever that means, if that stokes some things, your grown-up, whoever that is, knows right where you are, and you're very, very safe. Uh, but hospitality, in a biblical spiritual sense, it's a process by which strangers become friends. Uh, where people who were once separate and distinct from us now become almost in a way some kind of family to us because we've shared a table together. This was how ancient people understood hospitality. They recognized that to eat and drink with someone right at a table was to affirm their value and their dignity. It was to say that they were worthy of attention and value. If you would sit across the table from someone, you would say, this is someone whose humanity I affirm. And in modern times, people that have dedicated themselves to hospitality, uh, they've had similar sentiments. I think of one of my great heroes. His name is Henry Nouwen. Uh, he was a Harvard professor who resigned his prestigious post in 1985 so he could live alongside women and men with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And Henry Nouwen observed that our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people who anxiously cling to their property, and they're inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, now and said, hospitality is our vocation, it's our calling to convert an enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Now and said, that's our task. Hospitality that's not entertaining and that's not a show, but that ultimately is connecting. It's causing strangers to become friends and causing those friends to become family. At that moment when two lives intersect, now one says that is a beautiful and essential thing. And hospitality is a way of life that we see modeled again and again in the New Testament text. Specifically, as we read the Gospels, these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, we see that hospitality mattered to him. We see that Jesus came to earth and interacted with others both as the perfect host and the perfect guest. And so I would love, um, in the time that we have together, to take like this quick, quick, quick journey through an entire book that documents the way Jesus uh, both extended and experienced hospitality. Because what's true is that Jesus was both one who created space of welcome from others and also received welcome from others. And this case is made again and again as you read the gospel, these historic accounts of Jesus' life. But it's especially clear in a particular gospel uh, called Luke. And so, Josh, you had the backlights on for a second. I see you up there, but I love you, Josh. Keep it up. We'll get there. Uh, we'll all get out in one piece, I promise. And again, if you're ever uncomfortable, just wave a hand, raise a flag. I mean, I used to work with kids. We'll get you out in the lobby. We'll figure something out on the fly. Uh, this is why we've got co-pastors and a whole team here. We're so safe. But we're going to look at Jesus's hospitality, right? The fact that he both extended welcome and received welcome through the book of Luke. Uh, Luke was someone who documented Jesus' life thoroughly. He was this physician turned historian who did a careful, careful investigation of Jesus' life. And so we're going to make a really quick journey from Luke. So I need you to, like, get your seatbelt, buckle it in. We're going fast. Here's what Luke records. In Luke chapter 4, uh, Luke says that at the very beginning of his public ministry, 
Jesus said these words, Luke 4.18, Jesus proclaimed, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. The year of the Lord's welcome. Jesus declared to his disciples, I've come to give good news to the down and out, to set captives free, to help the blind see, and to welcome those who society rejects into a new kind of family. Now, I can imagine that many of you are thinking, Tyler, this all sounds great. I love that mission. Yes, let's care for the poor, of course. Let's invite the marginalized in. Yes, but my Bible doesn't say to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome, which is why we had the lights go out. I didn't want you to be able to read that from your Bible. Now, uh, you said in my Bible, or maybe if you've grown up around faith communities, you've heard it more like, oh, I, yeah, I know that, to set free the oppressed, to heal, you know, sight to the blind, uh, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what gives, bro? Why, Tyler, are you pulling a fast one here? Uh, year of the Lord's welcome, year of the Lord's favor. Did you not think we would fact-check you? And I want to say to you, it's like, I'm so glad that you are curious. Um, and, and here's a little context I want you to have. The word that's likely translated as favor in your Bible, because it's translated as favor in both the ESV translation and the NIV. Those are real popular translations. But that I chose to read as welcome this morning is actually a Greek word, dektos. Dektos. Uh, do you want to say that with me? Dektos? Dektos. It sounds a little bit like a party game for the backyard, right? Like something, maybe like bags or a cornhole. Uh, Dektos. Uh, okay, very lame joke. But here's why Dektos matters. Uh, while Dektos can be translated as favor, which again is probably what your Bible says, leading scholars agree that welcome might actually be a better translation. A better translation. And why is that? It's because immediately after Jesus utters these words declaring his intention to free the oppressed and heal the hurt, Luke tells us that the people around him who heard these words expressed skepticism. They said, hey, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter's kid? Who does he think he is? How does he think he's going to make all this good stuff happen in the world? Which leads just five verses later to Jesus saying in Luke 4, 24, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted or welcome in his hometown. And the word that Jesus uses in verse 24 there is, as you guessed it, it's dektos again. So just like verses ahead in Luke 4, 19, Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. I want everyone to know that they matter and they belong and they're safe and I'm going to heal and restore and I'm going to create this new kind of family where everyone's welcome. Then he gets a little bit of pushback and then five verses later in Luke 4, 24, he's like, well, I guess it's true. There's no welcome. The prophets aren't welcome in their hometown because people know them. And so leading scholars say this dektos word is better to understand as welcome. Luke is setting up a contrast here, and he's saying, hey, throughout these Gospels, you're going to see Jesus welcoming everyone, even as he is rejected by so many folks. He's going to be so, so, so welcoming, and people are actually going to reject or not welcome him as a result of that welcome. And so Luke sets up this contrast at the beginning of his gospel, and then you all, again and again and again and again, he shows how hospitality was central to Jesus' mission. And so I said we're going to take a lightning speed journey through Luke. Here it is. We're going to start in Luke 7.34, where we hear Jesus respond to critics who condemn his decision to extend hospitality to certain people by saying, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Right? So Jesus is having dinner with people that other people won't have dinner with, and he's saying, man, I'm just here eating and drinking with these folks, and you're getting all over my case about it. So Luke 7.34. Similarly, in Luke 15.2, we hear the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day, complain about Jesus, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, throughout the gospel, we see that Jesus is regularly criticized by other religious leaders for welcoming people into his society who are deemed to be unwelcome or unworthy of hospitality. But Jesus didn't just extend hospitality as a host, right? We said he also received it as a guest. So in Luke 10:38, we read that Jesus and his disciples came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So Jesus was a house guest. And in Luke 19:5, we learn that Jesus, as he was passing through Jericho, looked up into a tree and saw a man named Zacchaeus who was despised in his community because he's a tax collector who would extort extra fees from people in his neighborhood. And so they didn't like him at all. And yet Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So Jesus, who was a host of sinners and tax collectors, was also a guest of Martha and her sister Mary and a guest of Zacchaeus. He entered spaces that they created. He received food and shelter from them. See, Jesus both extended hospitality and welcome to others, and he received hospitality and welcome from others. I mean, more examples. Jesus uh, fed 5,000 people, right? That's a really big dinner party that he threw. Uh, he was invited to eat at Levi's house. He's preaching in another unnamed person's house when, like, his followers get so anxious to bring their friend before him, they tear the roof off and drop that person right down to be healed, right? So, Jesus, that happens in someone's house where Jesus is staying. Uh, Jesus extended and received hospitality. He was host and guest, and he consistently spoke about his mission on earth in the language of hospitality. Uh, describing the ultimate purpose of his mission to his disciples, Jesus says in Luke 13, 28, that when his mission is accomplished, people will come from east and west and north and south, i.e. everywhere. They're going to come from all over, and they'll take their places in the feast of the kingdom. So Jesus says to his followers, this whole mission that we're on, that we're about, that was launched in Luke 4, we said we want to set free the oppressed and heal folks that need it and create a new kind of space that's going to culminate. Jesus says, think about it culminating in a giant feast where everyone from everywhere gathers and sits at a large table spread that we've created, that I've made. And then in Luke 22, as Jesus shares his final meal with his followers, right before his execution, he insists, just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at the table in my kingdom. Right? The kingdom I spoke about 17 chapters ago, Jesus says, that kingdom where captives are liberated and the blind are healed and the oppressed are redeemed, it's coming into being right before your eyes. And you, my followers, you're going to eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom. Now, friends, we have flown through the Gospel of Luke. You could almost say we were flying blind because there were no lights for most of it. We have made it through. And I hope I didn't lose you on this warp speed journey, but I need you to know, and this is the big point this morning, I need you to know that Jesus' teaching and Jesus' life and Jesus' example was saturated in the language and the practice of hospitality. And it was because of this emphasis on hospitality, because of this emphasis on hospitality as a process by which strangers, people that you would care nothing about, might actually become friends. It was because of this emphasis 
that the earliest followers of Jesus likewise valued hospitality. They saw it as being of extreme importance. They extended hospitality to missionaries who are traveling the world. I mean, some would say that this like Christian hospitality gene is kind of how the gospel message was able to spread so far because Christians had a, a category and a capacity for extending hospitality to people who were traveling as missionaries. They extended hospitality to those who were ill and neglected. Uh, Christians were great when epidemics would break out in Rome. They knew how to extend hospitality and care for the sick to so that others would just leave to die and suffer on their own. They extended hospitality to one another, opening up their homes and gathering together, eating together, worshiping together. Um, indeed, hospitality was so prized in the early church that Clement, who was a guy who was made bishop of Rome by Peter, I don't know if you've heard about Peter, Jesus' is like famous disciple Peter, so Peter, made this guy Clement a bishop, and Clement said, in a letter that uh, was, we have from antiquity, said that Abraham was saved because of his faith and hospitality. He's writing to these people, trying to inspire them towards hospitality. He says, hey, when I read scripture and I think of Abraham welcoming people in and being a great host, I think I see from scripture that Abraham was saved by faith and hospitality. In Clement's reading of the Old Testament text, it was both his faith and his practice of hospitality that proved that Abraham was part of God's family. Indeed, I think this emphasis on hospitality is probably why Paul, uh, when he was under the Spirit's influence in writing the New Testament text, listed hospitality as a qualification for elders in the church. I mean, have you ever thought about that? If you look at 1 Timothy 3, uh, you see all the familiar ones we might know that elders need to be above reproach, sure. Faithful, yes. Temperate, respectable. Oh, and hospitable. Hmm. Hospitable. I mean, Jesus' first followers, the people who had proximity to his teaching and to his example, placed a high value on hospitality. And in turn, hospitality shaped their entire community. Uh, writing about the early Christian community, the second century historian Aristides said, when they, when Christians, see a stranger, they take them under their roof and rejoice over them as true brothers and sisters. For they do not call themselves brothers and sisters according to the flesh, but according to the soul. And whenever they see one of their poor have died, each one of them, according to their ability, contributes ungrudgingly to help bury them. And if they hear that some are condemned or in prison on account of the name they proclaim, uh, they contribute to those who are condemned and send them what they need. And if it is possible, they even redeem them, that meaning they like buy them out of their captivity. Aristides said the early church cared so much for strangers and so much for one another. They had a high value of hospitality. He said the act of welcoming and experiencing welcome shaped everything that they did. And so here's the big question for this morning. What would Aristides say if he observed our Christian communities today? If he looked at our city, if he looked at our church, if he looked at our lives, at the examples that modern Jesus followers give, uh, what would Aristides say about our practice of hospitality? What do you think? I, I thought of a few things. Would he write, uh, when they see strangers, they look the other way, hoping to avoid eye contact. Uh, when they know someone's in need, they send a sweet text saying, let me know if you need anything, while quietly hoping they never get a response. Uh, they're nervous to invite others over because things aren't tidy and there's not that much food in the fridge. They cultivate a well-manicured public appearance 
but struggle to truly share their daily rhythms and routines with others. Uh, They never extend care nor receive care well. They seldom take risks to invite new friends into their lives. Uh, What would Aristides observe in Christian communities today? What would he observe in your life? How would a second century Christian who is so used to Christians being known for their generous welcome, evaluate our 21st century hospitality? What questions would they have for us and what encouragement might they offer? I mean, friends, hospitality was remarkably valued in the early church. It was a clear sign that someone was like actually following Jesus. The way we have different signs and ways we know today someone follows Jesus, right? It's like, oh, look, they got a fish bumper sticker. Uh, Same way, right? I mean, we got signs today. There's metrics, whether we admit them or not, there's metrics we have. In the first century, the surest way to know someone who was sincerely following Jesus was to look at the example of their hospitality. Um shaped their entire community. It changed their world, and it could do it again. I mean, simply put, we need to become people shaped by hospitality, people who are known for creating spaces for others to simply be and to rest, and people who enter spaces that others have created and simply be ourselves and receive their care and support, because hospitality is the process by which strangers become friends. And I would argue it is what our world and our city so desperately needs. In fact, committing to hospitality is one way that we can carry forward the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he values, because hospitality, I would say, is critically connected to the gospel message that Jesus taught. And why do I say that? It's because of this. It's because the gospel, this good message of good news that Jesus had, it isn't something that just happens within you. It is something that happens around you. It's something that happens as people, as you connect with people whose society says ranks above you or fall beneath you, come to sit across from you at a table, right? It's not just something that happens within you, like, oh, a sweet sentiment, now my heart is changed, everything's different. No, it is something that happens around you, as those that people say, gosh, you would have no business interacting with them, you shouldn't care about them or their concerns at all, come to matter deeply to you and come to sit across from you as friends. I mean, can you imagine if our faith community became known for its hospitality? If people said, man, that City Church OTR, I may not agree with all that their pastors say, and they can't even keep the lights on during service, uh, and I don't know about this Holy Spirit who they sing to, and, you know, they, man, they really like to sing a lot, and it kind of weirds me out a bit, but dang it, they're so hospitable. I feel so welcome there, and they always invite me into their lives and into their spaces, and it's not showy or stuffy, it's just real and restful. I mean, can you imagine how refreshing that would be to our community? I mean, I would say that kind of hospitality changed the world once, and it could do it again. Uh, When I was in seminary in Chicago, I lived uh, on campus. Uh, It was uh, in like a wealthy part of Chicago, so you really couldn't afford rent nearby at all. So I'm living on campus uh, just right after undergrad. And while I was living there, I got to meet a very, very dear friend named Patrick. Now, Patrick is like a ball of energy and so many emotions thrown in. I don't know if you have any friends like that, but just more of like a force as he moves around and lives in the world. And I love Patrick uh, dearly. In fact, I love Patrick so much that when I was in Patrick's wedding, Uh, It was a big Korean wedding. I'm in Patrick's wedding, and there's a time in the wedding where we're doing, like, prayer 
during the wedding. And so they wanted like the bride and all her like bridesmaids, I was going to say bridesmen, bridesmaids gathered around over there, the groom and all the groomsmen gather over here. We're all praying kind of intensely. And during this prayer, I noticed that Patrick, who has nothing but energy and emotion, like he's crying and not just like a little wedding tear down the side of the face, you know, your Oprah interview. Like this is a sobbing, messy cry, snot everywhere. And as many of you know, I once worked in production. And so I'm thinking about what's coming next. You know, it's about to be time to kiss the bride. And there's going to be photos. And Patrick has snot running down his face. And so I reach up with my hand and wipe it off and stick that hand in my pocket. Uh, So all that to say, I love Patrick a whole lot. And Patrick, a great, great, great friend. Um, And Patrick taught me a lot about hospitality. Because while we were living on campus, Uh, Patrick would organize these dinners for everyone in our building. And at the dinner, he made us come prepared to answer two questions. And the questions were, what is something that you have that you can share? And what is something that you need from this community? And the reason those questions were so powerful is because we're all there in seminary because we love people and we want to help people. And so it was very easy to answer the first question, right? What is it that I have to share? Oh, I've got some extra this, or I could do that, or I could help someone with this other thing this week, right? Very easy to answer the first question. But that second question, what is it that you truly need from this community, was like just devastating to answer. And we would come with cheap answers, and Patrick would be like, no, 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 like you got to give a real answer. You know, like that was nothing. That was like just a surfacey one. Like what's something you really have to share, and what's something you really need? And why those questions were so profound was that during my time in seminary and as I was engaged in those meals, I learned more and more about this actual spiritual practice of hospitality. I learned what it was to be a host and to have something to share that could make all the difference for others and just be an absolute game changer for them, right? Of course. But I also learned what it meant to receive care and to be needy and to be vulnerable and to be reliant upon others. And friends, when Jesus came to earth, when God came to earth, he did both. He was a masterful host who created space and welcome for others, and he vulnerably received help from others because he knew that in doing both, in both giving and receiving, in being welcomed and welcoming others, he said, this is where the beauty lies. This is how humanity was made to be uh, lived. This is what it looks like to be deeply connected with others and even to be deeply connected with God, right? To both offer God our worship and to receive his care, to offer our friends what we have and to receive their love. He's like, this is what it looks like to have a welcome, integrated, full, content life. And so, church, I have to ask, um, as we're wrapping up our time uh, and thinking of this story of Patrick and the legacy of his example in my life and by extension what these two questions can do to our lives, I just want to ask you, uh, what is it that you have that you can share? I mean, what is it that you have that you can share? Is it a, a space? It's a house? It's a skill? What is it that you have that you can share? And what is it that you need from others? What do you have to share? And what do you need from others? Friend, my prayer is that the Spirit would give us all courage to share what we have with those around us with our neighbors, with our friends, with folks in this church, because extending hospitality changed the world once and it could do it again. And my prayer is that the Spirit would give us all courage to receive what we need from others, because receiving hospitality is good for our 
souls. It reminds us that we are dependent upon God and reliant upon our sisters and our brothers. So what do you have to share? And what is it that you need? What do you have to share? And what is it that you need? Friends, as we prepare for our final moments in worship, uh, as we make space to either sit with the Lord at his table, uh, as we do each week, and there's instructions for that in your worship guide, how you could get the little communion packets, or as we take time to pray, uh, as we make space to sing with whatever the band has for you, I pray that those questions continue to speak to you and the Spirit uses those to prompt good personal reflections this week. What do I have to share? What is it that I need? And I'm asking that God would direct you towards following Jesus' example of hospitality towards following that example of hospitality, towards opening yourself up to be a place of welcome for others and receiving the welcome and care that others have for you. So Spirit, would you guide us in that task together even now? Amen.